0: Hi, everyone. I'm Scott Wingeter. Welcome to another episode of Impolite Company. Today, I would like to talk to you about how we just simply can no longer trust some of the institutions within our republic. In particular, we cannot trust the federal government and we cannot trust the media. And this is problematic. Last night on uh, the primetime show, Tucker Carlson, uh, Tucker recently got a hold of over 40,000 hours of uh, closed-circuit television uh, and security camera footage of the January 6th insurrection. Remember, the insurrection happened on January 6th. That was the day back in 2021, January twenty 6 uh, 2021, where they were opening up the results of the 2020 election and the Electoral College Uh, ballots were being counted Um, and of course we had a rally and the president Donald Trump said uh, to quote peacefully and patriotically go and make your voices heard. Uh, So they left uh, the uh, Trump rally that was right outside the White House. They marched down Pennsylvania Avenue to the uh, capitol building where they had a federal permit to hold a protest on the capitol grounds. And they then got into the capitol building, as you well know. Um, last summer we had the January 6 kangaroo court going on inside uh, the capitol led by Democrats and a couple of traitorous Republicans, like Liz Cheney and Adam Kinsinger. Um, And this was just absolutely asinine. Uh, Nancy Pelosi, of course, was Speaker of the House during this time period, and she put together the January 6th committee, and they would not allow anybody within the minority, the Republican-controlled minority by uh, McCarthy, to... uh, enter into this. So, uh, so for example, they wanted uh, Jim Jordan to be on this committee. Uh, the Republicans did. And Nancy Pelosi said, no, we're not going to allow J- representative Jordan to be a member of this committee, which is the first time that this has ever happened in the uh, congressional history uh, where the speaker of the house uh who was a Democrat said to the Republicans, you can't pick your own committee members. Uh, I get the final say on who's on the committee. This has never happened before. And they did all sorts of dirty, nasty tricks um, where they wouldn't, for, for example, they would subpoena people. They, they were not allowed uh, representation by a lawyer um, and, and they just threw out due process rights It was a mess. It was a Stalinistic uh, kangaroo court. It was a show trial. But now that the Republicans have taken back control of the House of Representatives, Speaker McCarthy took this 40,000 hours worth of video that the Jan Six committee had uh, put together, and he released it to Tucker Carlson. Um, And the producers on that TV show went through all of these uh, hours and hours and hours of uh, video footage and found some interesting things. Well, wouldn't you know it? The Democrats and the media—they lied. Oh my! Yeah, that's right. They lied to the American people. In fact, it was a completely orchestrated uh, event: the Jan. 6 uh, committee hearings. They—you saw only what the Democrats and the media wanted you to see and of course we knew that that's what was going to happen because they hired this big fancy hotshot ABC producer to put the whole thing together and make it look uh ready for prime time it was orchestrated uh and so what we see when the with the videos that was released last night was that we all remember that uh that fellow who had the hat on with the horns, uh, he was wearing no shirt, which is not recommended in January in Washington, D.C., by the way. Um, that guy, right, the the face of the insurrection. Well, wouldn't you know it, this guy was walking around uh, the Capitol building, basically escorted by... Uh, The Capitol Police. In fact, there are videos that are showing the Capitol Police trying doors. They're basically taking him on a guided tour, you know, because he is a terrorist and a threat to democracy. Uh, Point is, all of these videos that were released last night on Tucker Carlson show very clearly that this goes completely against the narrative that the Democrats and the the goons in the media had put together to try to deceive the American people about what actually occurred on January 6th. Should people have busted windows and and gone into the Capitol building? No. Uh, they should not have done that. Uh, there was a handful of of, you know... People that were conducting vandalism, breaking windows, overturning pieces of furniture, etc. And yeah, that shouldn't have happened. But what the video shows very clearly is that the overwhelming majority of the hundreds of people that went into here, not thousands, went into the Capitol building. Most of them were just walking around and they were taking selfies of themselves outside of the speaker's office. They were admiring the statues and the statuary. They were treating the Capitol with respect and looking around and basically they were tourists. They, They were doing things that probably you and I would do if we found ourselves at the Capitol building. Oh, wow, look at that painting. Or, hey, check out this statue. Oh, this piece of history is neat. Isn't the architecture gorgeous? Oh, this is such a neat experience to be in the Capitol building. That is the overwhelming majority of what these videos show. In fact, um, when we go back to, you know, the QAnon shaman, right? The face of the insurrection, the threat to democracy, Jacob Chansley, He's actually video recorded on the Capitol uh, security cameras in the Senate chambers praying for the Capitol police, thanking them for taking him on this guided tour. So the whole thing is just ludicrous and exactly what I have come to expect from the mainstream media, what Rush Limbaugh used to call the drive-by media uh, and The Democratic Party that are trying to lie to you to paint this picture in order to gain power and control, because remember they're Marxists and they're fixated on who has power and who has control, and that brings me to my next point: the media was complicit with the Democrats and the traitors to the GOP, like. Liz Cheney, and Adam Kinzinger. This was a kangaroo court, and that's just one slice of an example that I can point to. Another huge example that has come out recently is the Twitter files. Here we have concrete proof and evidence that the Department of Justice and the FBI are working hand-in-hand with big tech, places like Twitter, to... Uh, censor Americans, to spy on Americans, to shadow ban Americans, and for what purpose? In order to make sure that all media follows a prescribed narrative that fits the narrative that they want you to hear, see, and believe. And that's a problem. We no longer have a free Press in the United States of America. What we have is state-controlled media. In essence, what we have is the American version of Pravda. And if you're not familiar with what Pravda is, Pravda was the name of the state-controlled newspaper of the Soviet Union. Pravda in Russian is the word for truth. And ironically, what they did was they never reported the actual truth. That is what we have basically succumbed to here in the United States. And that's why I'm so excited to be able to sit in this chair behind this microphone and speak to you directly because we don't have anybody uh, in the mainstream uh, media that's willing to do this, to just talk to the American people and report the truth. And that's why I'm so happy that we have... Available this technology these days that normal Americans like me can produce this quality uh, News reporting and get this information out there Uh, And thank God we have that because if we didn't we'd really be in trouble and You know to piggyback off of this whole idea this is what the left is doing in America right now. They are trying desperately to destroy our institutions and they've taken over our institutions like the media, and they're destroying it in order to put forth their own narrative. They've infiltrated these the news agencies, uh, big tech, they're, they've infiltrated the academy uh, and the universities and ed- education, and they're trying to. They're like, they're like termites. They're just eating away at the structures of these institutions in order to intentionally make them collapse. Uh, case in point: uh, recently, we've had two famous British authors that are being censored. Even though these authors are both beloved, their works are beloved, and both authors are are deceased, their works are being completely censored. Uh, Roald Dahl and Ian Fleming are both on the chopping block uh, for censorship. That's right. Uh, The publishers of these uh, works now are going through and they've hired, you'll love this term, sensitivity readers. Well, what's a sensitivity reader? A sensitivity reader goes through books and they read it. They're such brave people because sometimes these sensitivity readers come across insensitive words. That's right. And they have to be subjected to reading these insensitive words. Oh my! Yes. And so when they come across insensitive words they strike them out or they highlight them and they put them forward to the editors and publishers and say, this word's insensitive. It made me feel bad. It's not appropriate for modern readers. All right, so uh, Roald Dahl, anybody in here ever watched uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory or Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, if you like, uh, he wrote that book. So, so for example, uh, there's the term fat and ugly. That has been made Insensitive. So we remember the big, fat, enormous kid at the beginning of uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Uh, I think his name's Eustace or something like that. He gets down and starts sl- like just slopping up the chocolate milk river, right? <laughs> it falls in. Okay. He's described in the book as enormous and fat. Well, we can't say that because that's fat shaming, you see. We can't say fat. It's insensitive. So, fat is being removed uh from from this book now uh in the sensitive edition. Yeah, isn't that great? So, my question is simple. Why does fat have to be removed? I mean, it's a simple question. Ask yourself this. And maybe you might disagree with it. Maybe you agree with it. I don't I don't know. I don't frankly care, but is it okay to be fat? Is it okay? I don't know. There may be a debate there. Maybe we can discuss this, right? But what I can take away here is that the sensitivity readers actually don't think it's okay to be fat. Being fat must be bad. In fact, it's so bad I can't even say the word fat. Gee, I hope I don't get canceled. Guys, hey, uh, I'm talking to to my team. Guys, do you think maybe I'm going to be canceled because I said fat too many times? Boy, that'd be a big fat mistake if I got canceled for saying fat too many times, huh? I hope I'm okay. Anyway, if I say fat and I get canceled or if, if, if Roald Dahl wants to write fat to describe the fat kid in Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, uh, you know, they're saying, oh, you can't say fat. It's, it's bad to say fat. We have to censor the word fat. That would seem to indicate to me that they don't think it's okay to be fat <laughs> or to say fat. Well, it's ironic to me that they're the ones that are saying, well, it's not okay to fat shame people and that's why we can't, you know, make fun of the fat kid because that kid's way too fat, all right? Look at him lapping up that chocolate milk, fatty. That's essentially what they're saying. They're shooting themselves in the foot. Um, another instance from the Roll Dole book, uh, we can no longer say black. Okay, I'm not even talking about in a racial connotation here or there's no racial context here uh there's in one of the books there's a a a set of tractors that are these evil machines that are destroying things right and they're described as the black tractors we can't say that because that's insensitive the color black is insensitive i mean are my boots here i'm wearing black leather boots is that insensitive (laughs) this is getting to be absurd uh, also on the chopping blocks is James Bond, beloved British spy, right, 007. Um, specifically, what we're looking at here to edit with the, the sensitivity readers think that James Bond needs to be edited to be more sensitive for modern readers is the book Live and Let Die. Uh, Live and Let Die, of course, was a movie. It was the first Roger Moore James Bond uh, portrayal, uh, 1973, I want to say. But the book came out well before that, about 10 years before, 9 years before before it was 1964 the book came out um and live and let die bond um and his cia counterpart felix leiter i'm talking about the book here i've read every single james bond book i'm a huge fan of ian Fleming. love it It had a huge impact on my life as a kid i I loved reading those novels um james bond goes to new york meets up with uh, the cia agent felix leiter and they're investigating mr big who uh, is this uh Black uh, Haitian gangster uh, who's operating in uh, Harlem, and he's uh, apparently got some sort of operation that he's working on w- in conjunction with Smersh, which is this agency within the KGB in Russia. Um, and he's trying to—he's uh, a communist and he's collaborating with with Smersh. And so James Bond has to stop him, right? Um, and so. Uh, this in particular is being edited for some racial language. Uh, in particular, the way that he Fleming describes uh, African Americans in New York and uh, in Florida, and then uh, in the Caribbean, uh, as as we jet set around uh, throughout the novel, uh, it has a lot of black characters in it, and so it's being edited for that. And I, you know, Ian Fleming, to be to be fair, maybe not the best person and i'll even go back to rold doll Roll doll was kind of a disgusting human being if you look into it all right that's my opinion of their moral character okay big deal they were they were bad people even let's say okay that doesn't mean that you have the right to edit their work (laughs) after they're dead um the what what what's funny about it is Fleming himself, after he published it uh he was looking to maybe sell the rights to uh, live and Let die as a movie um and he's taking a look at it, and as they were editing the book, he decided to actually change some of it himself um and okay, fair enough, you know maybe I think we could all agree that maybe some of the racial terms of the nineteen sixties may be actually offensive in in you know. I can certainly agree with that, having read the book, sure, um but I'm still against the idea of censorship, and here's the thing: Fleming is not writing you know some Arthurian legend where you know James Bond is just you know the epitome of chivalry and what a gentleman should be Bond's a spy, he literally Winston Churchill uh would talk about. Uh, the kind of things that these men would have to do in, in the course of their work, he, he described it as ungentlemanly warfare. It was not, like, spies don't do nice things, all right? They're assassins. They murder people. They steal things. They do all sorts of bad things morally in order to either get information or sabotage the enemy the world of intelligence is not a place for the light of heart or, you know, somebody who's really got, you know, their moral compass dialed in perfectly due north, okay? You got to do some shady stuff if you're going to enter into the world of intelligence. That's where Ian Fleming came from. During World War II, Ian Fleming was a spy. When he started writing the spy novel starting with Casino Royale he built James Bond off of a bunch of different people historical characters that he met uh in real life during his experience in uh, British intelligence during World War II one of them was uh Wild Bill uh um Donovan who was the chief of the OSS another one was uh William Stevenson who was a Canadian and he he Basically, took aspects of all of these different people and combined them into make the character of James Bond, who is not a nice person. He's not. He's got a double O license to kill. That's his job. He's not supposed to be this great guy. And what's what's interesting is when you read the books themselves, starting with Casino Royale, is Bond sexist? Absolutely. Even for the 1950s, Bond is the sexist creep. Um, As you go through the novels, even just the first novel, Casino Royale, his whole entire attitude about how he treats the female protagonist, uh, Vesper, changes it changes his entire outlook that first mission that's his first mission is a double o casino royale and his whole entire outlook changes after that mission is over with and each novel it changes a little bit more and a little bit more and by the time we get to on her majesty's secret service which is i think my favorite james bond novel uh He actually falls in love with a a girl and ends up marrying her, uh, Tracy Bond. Uh, In fact, if you've seen the movie with uh, George Lazenby's portrayal as James Bond, it's very, very close to the book. In fact, out of all of the James Bond movies, uh, um, On Her Majesty's Secret Service is probably the most accurate to the the novel itself. And so you see this character growth, which is what we want to see when we read these kinds of books right uh we want to see character growth because if the character himself can change for the better that gives us hope as human beings that we too can change for the better and we can grow and we can progress through life. That's the whole idea of telling stories in the first place. And censorship destroys that censorship destroys the work of the author. Part of reading history or literature is the idea that it, it places your finger on the pulse of the culture that was present at the time that the work was completed. Um, and it's a good thing. It, it helps us, uh, later generations looking back figure out okay what as best as we can what was the culture like at the time when that work was done um and sometimes it it has really really great effects of seeing some of those changes happen uh huck finn is a great example in fact i want to read you my favorite uh lines from from huck finn this is huck talking about how he knows that the uh, slave jim had run away all right huck finn lives in missouri it's a slave state this is before the civil war he knows that that jim the slave had run away and he knows where he is and so huck has this moral obligation to you know let jim's owner know where he's run off to uh he says and so he writes a letter i felt good And all washed clean of sin for the first time I'd ever felt so in my life. And I knowed I could pray now. But I didn't do it straight off. But laid the paper down and sat there thinking. Thinking how good it was all this happened so. And how near I came to being lost and going to hell. And went on thinking. And got to thinking over our trip down the river. And I see Jim before me all the time in the day, and in the night, sometimes moonlight, sometimes storms, and we floating along, talking, and singing, and laughing, but somehow I couldn't seem to strike no places to harden me against him, but only the other kind, I see him standing my watch on top of his instead, of calling me so I could go on sleeping, and I see him how glad he was when I came back out of the fog and when I come to see him again in the swamp up there where the feud was and such like times and would always call me honey and pet me and do everything he could think of for me and how good he always was and at last I struck the time when I saved him by telling the men we had smallpox aboard and he was so grateful And said I was the best friend old Jim ever had in the world. And the only one he's got now. And then I happened to look around and see that paper. It was a close place. I took it up and held it in my hand. I was trembling because I'd got to decide forever betwixt two things. And I it. I studied a minute. Sort of holding my breath. And then I says to myself, all right then. I'll go to hell and tore it up. If you haven't read Huck Finn, you have to read that book. It is such a great, great American novel because here it's written by Mark Twain and it's written after the Civil War, during Reconstruction, during right when Jim Crow laws are starting to pass in the South and everything like that. And here he places this kid in the time period before the Civil War when slavery was still a thing and he establishes this relationship and you have this relationship of this kid and this runaway slave going down river, down the Mississippi River, into the deep south during the Antebellum period and he's doing it for a particular reason and that reason is to demonstrate the, the relationship that you can have between a white kid and a black man and how that's okay and that he gives humanity to Jim the slave and he shows him that he's a person and not property and all of that wonderful things and, and Huck is trapped in this time period where he's like, has to do the moral and right thing, right? Where he has to turn Jim in because that's the moral thing to do, because Jim's breaking the law as a runaway slave, right? And he says, well, to hell with it. I'll go to hell, as opposed to turn Jim in. And ironically, that's the right thing. That, like, Huck Finn chooses the right thing. But we'd have to cancel that book if the sensitivity readers got a hold of it, because it says the N-word throughout the book. My point is we should be very, very careful about books like Hawk Finn, where especially it shows us that that, that's not a racist book, even though it has the N-word strewn throughout because uh, Mark Twain did that intentionally to bring attention to the fact that it's not okay. But the sensitivity readers would have us cancel that whole book and lose that aspect of it. Literature, whether it's history, actual events that actually took place or even fictional pieces like, you know, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory or, you know, anything by Ian Fleming like Casino Royale. It puts us in a time period that happened whether it, that those events actually happened or not and it helps us to understand the culture from which we came from. I'm very much against censorship because what it boils down to is exactly what we were talking about at the outset of this uh, podcast. We cannot let leftist termites chew through the foundations of our culture and society. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Impolite Company, presented by The Dock Line. If you like what you heard, be sure to rate our podcast and leave a five star review for us.